travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 85, 4,000 Islands and Wat Pu Lao. Lao, a country of 5.5 million, landlocked and sandwiched between China, Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam, is little known to most travelers. Sure, they've heard the name, but they don't know much about what it has to offer, or for that matter, often where exactly on the map it's located. In a day and age when over-tourism is becoming a problem at many traditional sites and countries, now is a great time to strike out from the masses and discover this charming landlocked nation. On this episode, we'll talk about one of our favorite areas in all of Southeast Asia, Southern Lao, specifically the ancient Khmer Temple of Wat Pu and 4,000 Islands near the border with Cambodia. This is Scott Coates from Bangkok, and as always is... Trevor Ranges in Laos's other neighboring country, Cambodia. You're in Thailand still, right, Scott? Yeah, I am. And I said always with me, but the last episode you were with uh, Ed Knuth from... Uh, Bangkok podcast. So we've actually had a bit of a break from each other. And you know what? I'm excited about this episode because there's been a couple times where we've just been somewhere and we've been, you know, hey, let's do that. So in fact, just the other week, I was in Sipandon or 4,000 Islands and Wat Pu and excited about it, still excited about it. And you were one of many people who told me to get down there. Trevor, when was the first time you went? Have you only been once? Yeah. And it was uh, according to my Facebook history posts like what happened today three years mm, ago. So okay. it was three years ago this week that we went to Wapu. And three uh, years. Yeah. Um oh. and I'd never been I mean I'd spent quite a bit of time in, in central and northern Laos. Um but you know, here in Cambodia and having written about Cambodia and being fascinated by the Cambodian history, I had always heard of Wat Pu and I and I'd read a lot about it and uh, I was always really excited to go. Um, but before we started recording, you were just telling me like how your experience was because you just came back and I was like, how was it? And, I, and then obviously it must have been great because you wanted to do an episode about it. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get to it in, in pretty good detail. It is a place that I would say 10 to 12 years ago in conversations over about two months with, you know, guidebook writers or people that I think are really expert travelers, over a couple of months, numerous people were like, oh, then you should go to Sipandon, you should go to 4,000 Islands. And it, I just never made it because it's, it's like not far from Bangkok, but the flight's kind of expensive or you kind of fly near to it on the Thai side. It's just a little tricky. It's just not a natural passing point. I mean, it's out of the way. And so I've yeah, because even like Eastern Thailand, uh, where that part of Laos borders, like not a lot of tourists mm. visit that part of Thailand, which is kind of that's an under tourist. Because, you know, when you mentioned over tourism, I never really thought about that because I've always loved going to Laos. And ever since I've lived in Asia, I go frequently, you know, just because I, I, it's such a wonderful place. But yeah, it, it isn't necessarily on a lot of tourists radar. And I think part of it is also because like that part of Thailand doesn't get a lot of tourists. So people don't pop across the border there so easily. Yeah, no. So I mean, I was really excited so we're recording this at the beginning of august 2018 i was there at the end of july 2018 for three nights which you know 
people said, oh, it's so boring down there and you're not going to need much time. These are other people and, and I could have easily spent more time. So it was my first and only time. And I was just talking with someone yesterday about the fact that, you know, we, we've kind of been spoiled by traveling so much. So maybe when I go to like a beach now, I'm like, ah, it's all right. Whereas other people would be knocked out. But it's because I've been to so many great beaches. And I was a little worried that this was built up to me. But no, it exceeded expectations. It, it exceeded all expectations. Uh, one of the big ones with Wat Pu to me was that um, the Khmer temples that are around, I mean, the Khmer Empire started in 802 and finished sometime in the 15th century. Do you actually know the date or period? Um, you know, I actually have a, a list of the kings of like the dark ages of that era. Mm. But, uh, you know, but, I, don't know. I, I don't think it just dropped off. Anyway, the point with Wat Pu was just that it dates back to the very origins of the Khmer Empire, like pre-Angkor and going back to like the first, second, third centuries. I know that like uh, the oldest temple at Wapu is dates to the fifth century. And there was a yeah. sixth century text written by a Chinese scribe that talked about the mountain as well. And I don't know if we want to get into that, to all the details just yet. But yeah, like you hear these stories about a place that's so like not just historically important, but one of the most beautiful temples all the books have set, you know. Mm. So you you know, but every time I go to Laos, I'm always struck by the beauty of the country. And, and boring, I think, is a relative term because, you know, oftentimes there's not a lot to do except just cruise around on a bike or something like that or watch the river go by. But uh, that's one of the amazing things about Laos is just there's so much to actually see that's beautiful. Yeah. You know? Well, before we maybe get further into the specifics about it, like how do you get there, right? So if you look at a map, and we've got a great Google map of this. Everywhere we talk about, we've got mentioned of the Google Maps. So do go to the show notes on Talk Travel com and you can see where we're talking about but basically if you're going to fly you fly into the southern town of Paxe but they only have flights a few days a week or you come by land uh, coming through northern Cambodia into southern land or you fly in or out of the far eastern Thai town Ubon Ratchatani then you travel a couple of hours by road to the border you cross and then it's another kind of couple hours south to Sipandon or about an hour and a bit south to Wat Pu. So it's it's a little out of the way, but I learned now to Pakse, there's also flights from Siem Reap, there's flights from Ho Chi Minh City. Mm. Um, but, you know, it costs a little bit, those flights. They're not cheap ones. You got to want it a little bit, but it's, it's well worth getting there. Super charming. And, you know, one of the issues we both work in tourism, obviously, Trevor, you and I is over tourism now. And one of the great things about Laos is that there's not tons of people there and slowing down is the point, right? Like take another day. Yeah. If there was ever a time to just have an extra day with no plan somewhere, it's Laos. Yeah, it's the perfect place to to pass away days. And even like when we went, uh, we flew Air Asia to Ubon. And then I don't remember, like we stayed in a guest house overnight, even I think, because we, we had to take a late flight after work or something like that. So the next morning we got uh, a local taxi to drive us to the border. And then you got to walk across the border. And did you go by land or did you fly into Paxe? Well, I was in Vientiane first working, and oh, then okay. I flew down to Paxe, okay. and I I high-styled him, and I had a car for the oh, whole yeah. time I was down there. So yeah, a car picked me up at the airport, drove me straight down to 4,000 Islands, picked me up two days later, drove me up to another place called La Foley Lodge we'll talk about on an island mm. near to Wat Pu, drove me to, picked me up, on, uh, took me to Wat Pu, and then drove me to the Ubon Airport. But yeah, you okay. can do it backpacker style, you can do it bus style. The border does close at 7 p.m., though. 
Yeah, maybe that's why we had to spend the night as well. But one mm. of the cool things you're saying about like slowing down and, and just kind of the experience and, and whatnot, because Pakse is like about 45 minutes north of Champasak, where Watpu is located. Yeah, so it's pretty close, you know. But once we got into Pakse, we had to figure out how to get down there. And the, the quote unquote bus station was, you know, behind some market. And then it was basically just like a big songtao. So, like, mm. uh, for people who have Song been Songtao is a pickup truck with two boards in the back to kind of sit on. Yeah, but it was more than a pickup truck. It was, like, a big truck, you know? But it was still, like, mm. open. It was kind of open air. It just had, like, a covered dome over the back and then two rows of seats. But then the, the truck was just packed with, like, boxes of, like, vegetables and all sorts of whatever was headed south from there. And we piled in with a bunch of local people who just sort of smiled, like, innocently at us because the Lao people are so friendly you know and it was just like a nice cruise down the, the highway in the back of the truck with a bunch of local people and it really just set the mood by the time you get there and uh champasak is is quite a small town yeah what was your first impression of, of the town there yeah well champasak and watpu is on the west side of the mekong river so this area you have the mekong coming down and then at four thousand islands which is south of watpu uh, as the name suggests, is a point where the Mekong gets up to like 15 kilometers wide, all kinds of islands. So where Wat Pu is, it's sort of on a probably a two kilometer wide stretch of, of the Mekong. And there's a big island called uh, Dondeng there. And yeah, my first impressions of Wat Pu, is that what you just asked? Of Champasak. Of Champasak. I didn't spend much time because I was staying at a very nice hotel called La Folie Lodge, which is a great place to stay, kind of French styled pool charming lodge kind of style rooms and the boat just took me over to champasak we drove through it like it can't be more than a thousand people there's a few colonial buildings so you're like oh it kind of takes you back to the time in the late 1800s when there were french there and they built a few buildings sleepy one or two kind of neat looking restaurants but very quiet i would definitely spend a night or two there if i was to go back again how about yeah, you yeah we, we stayed in some place called the intira champasak hotel which has some mm-hmm. kind of little like two-story uh like loft like hotel rooms but the restaurant is in one of those french colonial buildings that oh okay you know and it's right every the town runs right along the mekong and it's really small and charming and just again like riding a bicycle around we I think we, we rented a motorbike to go to the temple, to go to Wat Pu, um, which is only, you know, like, I don't know, a couple K south of, of the town, yeah? Probably like five to seven, maybe? Yeah, so maybe that's why we took the bike instead of bicycles, but we definitely mm. rode bicycles around the town as well. But, uh, so Wat Pu is, uh, means temple mountain, or the mountain, the temple on the mountain. So mm-hmm. the mountain there uh, is part of the attraction, yeah, and the way that the the temple itself is built up the hillside going towards the top of the mountain, I think is uh, something that makes it so famous, just that the beauty of the area. And it was cool that you went in July because we went in August and, and this is the wet season or the green season in this part mm-hmm. of uh, Southeast Asia. And I think it's way nicer when it's all green. Yeah, it was, it was gorgeous. I was continually reminding myself of like the fact that other times of the year it's brown, right? And not nice. Yeah. Everything was lush. And I was lucky with the weather. It rained a lot, but when I was there, the two and a quarter hours I was there, it was just like the mist and clouds on the mountain, but it didn't actually rain. So, yeah, I mean, you've got this temple, this Khmer Cambodian style temple. And as you mentioned, like there's original little structures that apparently go to like the sixth century. But I think the bit I read sort of said this is like 10th century, like if they kind of I don't know how they date the main complex or whatever, which is right about in the middle 
of the Angkor Empire, or or, mm-hmm. or not quite, right? But you so know how looking... they you know how they date them actually is there there were inscriptions there. There's inscriptions from the the fifth and sixth century, and then and okay. then later. And it's interesting because uh, the the oldest structures there are from like the fifth and sixth centuries, yeah. And so that's you know Sambor Prekuk, like pre Angkor. Um, but even in the ninth century, I think when some of the existing buildings were built, that was 802, right? That was the beginning of the Angkor Empire. Yeah, the official um, and, start. And then in the 10th century, uh, the, the capital moved from Angkor to Kul K, which is an Angkorian ruins city just north of Probably Angkor. Probably about 100 kilometers sort of yeah, northeast. Kind of in between the two, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. so then in the 10th century, Rajendravarman, he moved the capital back to Angkor, and he traveled to Watpu and paid homage to the god of the, the mountain. There's a Linga, Vapar, Linga Parvata. Yeah, which is the the linga on top of the mountain, which is like a natural phenomena that you can see from, you know, down closer to the river, maybe across the river would be better. Um, mm. But throughout the entire Angkor era, if you go to like the, the 13th century, that was uh, when Jayavarman Seven, who was the last great king of Angkor, he was like the big builder who built the Bayon and Angkor Tom and Top Prome, which is the Tomb Raider temple. He was like the greatest builder. So I think a lot of those buildings are from his era. And you can tell them because of the artistic style of the carvings and, and the shape of the, the, the temples and whatnot. You know? So basically, I think most of the kings who had the ability to travel there probably did travel there and probably installed some sort of statue or linga or something to honor their ancestors. I think it was one of the, you know, top two or three most holy places in, in the entire history of the Khmer Empire. Yeah, to sort of set the scene, like everybody told me, oh, there's nothing there, there's not much there, because most of it's supposedly kind of destroyed and ruined. So I really kept my expectations in check. And it is true to an extent, compared to a lot of the big other Khmer temples, a lot of it has fallen to ruin. But the setting on the edge of a smaller mountain, um, I started walking at it from the end of a barai. And a barai is a a lake, like a a water reservoir. And it's about 2.5 kilometers from the very far end of that reservoir up to the very top. So you've basically got like a promenade. It's just kind of a, a walkway of stone with, you know, various sculptures and statues along the sides. And you keep going upstairs and up and up and up, kind of up a hill. So they really picked a dramatic setting for it. And about midway, there's two kind of nice uh, style buildings. One was a library, and I can't remember the other on the other side. There would have been water ponds on either side. And you go up some seriously steep stone steps. And yeah, so it's a very... Mm. Yeah, just again, just to interrupt you. Yeah, it, it's it's built up a, from the river mm. up the from hillside. the Mekong River. So like, the temple, yeah, the temple's on the mountain, but it faces mm. towards the Mekong River, and and it faces east. So you can see on a certain day the sunrise perfectly line up along yeah. the causeway, right? Um, from on top of the the temple, but you start at the bottom, not at, quite at the river level, but you start at the bottom and you walk your way up. Yeah, I had my little uh, Garmin yeah. watch, so I clocked five point five kilometers, kind of going up and back. Um, wow! But yeah, how I, many I flights of stairs? I didn't count that part, but you know, I, I found it really charming because less was more, sort of. Like a lot of those command temples are incredible, but they're so big and there's so much, and it's great. But this was sort of like it was just a little less and, and sort of took my time. I was there two and a quarter hours. And I didn't even go to the museum or the lesser temples. 
I think that's it too because you can you you walk up the side and you want to rest every once in a while and you want to take in the view mm. as you climb up and the view is awesome and you get different views from different levels and different things were built at different eras and even though they're small and kind of in ruins here and there like I think the the procession up towards the top um, has enough little interesting things along the way and then when you get to the top there's a spring there in a cave and that's supposedly like holy water right and then in addition to that there's a bunch of different carvings like that are really unique like that that giant boulder that's carved yeah, that's like pretty neat elephant. right at the yeah. top and we'll have a photo of that uh, in the facebook gallery you know this was almost the last major Kamea temple I haven't seen. And during the Khmer Empire, they built some outside of modern-day Cambodia. There's a few in Thailand, one in a place called Lopuri. There's one uh, just at uh, Korat called Pimai. There's Panomurung. And uh, in Kanchanaburi, is there one there too? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even... Yeah. Oh, wow. And then there's the one that sits above uh, the border of Cambodia and Thailand as well. So this was kind of the last major out of country one I hadn't seen so I thought I mean if you have any kind of interest in it, it it's it's it, it's it was really nice it was really beautiful it's one of the most beautiful again like that hill and just the green countryside the Mekong River it's just uh yeah it's beautiful because the one it's compared to often is uh Priya Vihir um which is on the border of Thailand yeah. and Cambodia and that one's also built up a hillside and then the top of it is on a cliff that looks south over Cambodia, but I thought that Wat Pu was more beautiful, and, and in part just because of the greenness. Yeah, I, I definitely rainy season was a time to go there. So, you know, I kept expectations in check, but I, I thought it was really great. I really enjoyed it, and the fact that then it's, you know, really within, say, two hours of 4,000 islands, um, and there's some other things in Southern Law which we'll touch on. I, I think it's a, a really solid attraction. If you have the larger interest in, in the temples and the Khmer Empire, it really rounds things out. Like, if you could go there and then go to Siem Reap, for example, on your trip, it'd be great, right? Yeah, you can direct you flight. You can, though. Yeah, you could head down to the 4,000 Islands and then cross the Stung Trang and across to yeah. Priya here and then, uh, and then Siem Reap. Cool. So, um, I mean, anything else you want to throw in uh, before we move on to other things in Southern Law? I'm sure I could, and it's super fascinating. But, uh, yeah, let's move on, because I want to hear what you thought of the 4,000 Islands. I've only been to the Cambodian side of the Mekong River, um, which has some okay. similar topography. Um, it's really, you know, just really expansive with a bunch of different islands and sandbars. And, uh, you know, they have the Irrawaddy dolphins, the freshwater dolphins that live in these pools in between these islands and stuff. So it looks pretty similar, but I think the Laos side might be a little bit more amazing because there's 4,000 islands. Yeah. And, and that's the waterfalls look spectacular. Yeah, it was neat. So from Paxa Airport down there was about two hours. I believe it's about 150 kilometers. Uh, you get dropped off at a little pier and there's, you know, backpackers and travelers coming and going. You're basically everyone's going either to Don Det, Don is Island or Don Con. And I stayed on Don Con. And um, it was about a 20 minute boat ride. The river was really moving quick. And you just show up and it's super quiet. There was like a dirt road with kind of all the, the hostels and the few simple hotels um i stayed at a place called saladon con and the i actually stayed in a building that was built in i think 1896 or two and a french you know stately kind of governor type guy lived in it so it was almost like i don't believe in hauntings but i was like ooh, this place could be haunted and they had some other rooms that was cool they had like a riverside bar and i just sat and drank dark uh, beer lao and watched the sun go down but 
what's really neat is historically, I started reading this book when I was there, Mad About the Mekong, which talks about the period from 1866 to 68, when the French put out the Mekong Exploration Commission. And they left Saigon, and over just under two years, they were trying to find the source of the Mekong all the way in Tibet, because the French thought, if we can map and know the Mekong, we're going to be able to control all the countries around it. They were in a race against the British who were colonizing Malaysia and uh, modern day Myanmar, Burma. And these guys, how they traveled, it was fascinating. And so while I was there on um, Dondet, they were actually talking about this part because right there, there's rapids. So basically this section of the Mekong River is rapids and they probably dropped by 10 meters. But what they found is they got to it in the steamboat and there was no way a boat is getting up the Mekong any further, period. So pretty early in this thing, it's over. So what they actually did was they built a railway. They built this little railway that goes from the southern end of uh, Donkon to this, the northern tip. And that's probably about 6K. Then they built a bridge that's still there across to neighboring Dondet, which is in many ways a more charming island if you were going to go to one or the other. But you can easily ride a country bike around them. That's what I did my two days. Ride a little bike, stop here, stop there, have a, have a drink, have a bite to eat. But you see one of the old little steam engines that's all rusted. You can visit it. You see the port on the northern end and the southern end where the French would actually take boats, put them up, disassemble them, put them on rail and humans dragged them along the rail tracks to begin with. And then later they got a little tiny engine that would tug them and they actually didn't have enough track. So as they were heading north, they had to like pull up the track in the south and put it there. And they did this for years, this little railway. Hmm. That was the only way you were getting boats or things further up the Mekong. So if you're interested in the history, man, it was fascinating. This, um, yeah, mad about the Mekong book. And then you mentioned Champasak, as they called it Basak at the time. So again, when I was staying further north near Wat Pu at La Foley Lodge, I'm reading about them spending um, quite a number of weeks in Basak, mm. waiting for supplies and things. I'm like, where's Basak? And then they say modern day Champasak. I'm like, oh, wow. So as you're down there, if you read this book, like it's fascinating the colonial history of this area and being able to see the railway and imagine way back in the late 1800s these people disassembling boats and and moving them by rail but you know you just cruise around on little country bikes there's all the things that backpackers like i'll give a shout out to a restaurant in the north end of uh don con called chez fred and leah french guy and a laotian woman really Nice food prepared really well. Um, Leapy Falls on the west is really nice, but it's kind of a private consortium. You have to pay $5 to get in. They're building a zip line there. And then there's Kong Yai Beach just south of there where a lot of people go to get boat rides to see the dolphins right along the border on the river, as you mentioned. And they had some really nice like little salas, wooden seating areas. You could sit and read a book and order a drink or some food. Um, yeah, I was there two nights. I can see how people said you only need one. I could also see how you could stay four. Like, great, really nice place to just chill out for a few days. And there's all ends of the spectrum. I think my room was like $32 US and I was staying in this, you know, old French governor's well, house. Well, there's got to be cool. like uh, kayaking, any stand-up paddling. There's got to be some stuff like that around there too, yeah? There yeah, there are kayaking trips and apparently you can do them any time of year. But when I was there, the river is so high and fast that um yeah there weren't really people doing it you'd only be going downstream but that's a popular activity to do probably not the best like when the river's really ripping along yeah, like now um yeah so 
that was a hit, man. Like, definitely recommend it. Definitely, definitely do it. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at a map right now. And again, I'll remind people to go to our show notes and talktravelasia.com just because we do do pretty good maps and they're really useful. I go back and look at them all the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, mm. it's amazing. I mean, looking at all these little islands and stuff, there's got to be all sorts of cool little places to, to hang out and things to do. And again, like, uh, I don't know, it would be cool to kayak or camp. I wonder what it's like down there. Um, yeah. And then, you know, um, to kind of the next thing I did in my trip is sort of going back to where we started this show is I spent a night at this place called La Foley Lodge on Dondang, which is a much bigger island right near Wat Pu, about 100 kilometers north of the 4,000 Islands. All there is on this place is a dirt road around it. And one night I rode half of it on, a again, a country bike. And it's charming, man. Like, I didn't see another traveler. Lush green. It rained a bit. The classic, like, water buffalo, rice fields. It is great. A couple nights there would be great. And that hotel, if you can afford it, I think it's about 100 bucks a night. They'll send you over to Champasak. You can take one of their bikes over. Um, that was a really great place. Again, would have loved to spend two or three nights and just, again, slow it down. I was reading the, that Mad About the Mekong book. Like, I was really into it. It was great. So, I mean, you could blast through that in two days. But, man, I again, slow down and allow. Like, that's, to me, four or five nights perfect really good could do it in less yeah and then the and last then, place you were going to talk about was this uh bolavin is it bolavin plateau Bolivin? yeah bolavin plateau i think because i didn't even yeah. realize that was so near there but i remember uh andrea up in laos was telling us about it uh, sometime recently and it looks beautiful and, and like i didn't realize how close it was to champasak i mean we just went to champasak just because i had to go see wapu you know so that's why we went there and mm. we did that and so now that gets there's a reason to go back because uh bolavin looks pretty pretty cool too yeah, I didn't make it up there, but it's definitely like if you were to look at like the Southern Lao classic tour or something, it's on there. And, and some people were convincing me that I had the time to make it happen, but I, I didn't want to rush. So basically, uh, if you're in Paxay Town, about 45 minutes uh, east of there, you climb up to over a thousand meters up onto kind of a high plateau, as the name suggests. There's a very dramatic big waterfall, Tad Yuang Waterfall. I've heard there's a one single zip line that you can do over some falls and like halfway across or something have fresh coffee you can visit coffee farms which are run by minority village people you can stay with a village a family if you want but apparently you can easily go up and back in a day or you can stay up there with a family so you know i didn't get that done um but there again like you put the areas we've talked about in the plateau you got a week or if you really wanted to bomb through it you could probably knock it off in three nights but there's there's a lot to do down there um, it's definitely growing. And I was interested too. There's a lot of Vietnamese down there, which apparently were originally brought in by the French to do work. But now uh, Vietnamese in modern times are coming over to work. There's a lot of Chinese going down to work there. So a lot of the signs along the highway were in Laotian, Chinese and Vietnamese. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was a really fascinating area, man. I was, I was knocked out. And again, for a person that's traveled a lot, I find I'm rarely kind of like, Oh, wow. Like, that was great. And a big part of it was that book. And I'm really fascinated in the Mekong because I've been lucky enough to be in the Mekong in a lot of different areas. But yeah, I, I would definitely go back. Like, if my dad comes, I'm taking him. He historically would love it. Wat Pu was great. The islands I talked about were great. And I'll get up to the Bolivan Plateau next time. Yeah, you know, and again, it reminds me just looking at the map. Like Laos isn't isn't a small country. You know, there's a lot of no, it's a big. Lot of area. and and saying like the, this is one of the more touristy areas, and there not there aren't a whole lot of tourists there still. So, and the Lao people are wonderfully 
just so nice people, you know, and, and the country is like a big national park for the most part. I know they have some issues, but uh, it's pretty unspoiled. You know, there's some natural beauty there that's worth checking out and the history, you know, like uh, and because it is between Thailand and Cambodia, like I think it's a really good idea to combine uh, the countries, you know, like if you're going to go to Thailand yeah, and Vietnam. Yeah. And China might as well just spend a, a month or two over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tours, they, they had a goal for 2 million visitors in 2018. They won't hit it. Tourism numbers have gone down the last couple of years. Mm. And the only kind of one downside is that it is expensive compared to its neighbors. You so, think? Like what you pay for, yeah, what you pay for food and lodging is definitely more than Cambodia, Vietnam, or Thailand. It is landlocked. That plays a role. Um, so there is the comment from people like, oh, meals are a bit more expensive. But I mean, you know, compared to traveling Europe or something, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. But the food's great, man. Like in Champasak, we had at that hotel that we stayed at, the, the name again for people if they wouldn't want a place to stay right in town was the Intira Champasak hotel they made a sticky mm. rice risotto and i had that the first night and it was amazing so i had sticky rice risotto every night and they made it a couple of different styles um but sticky rice is kind of a loud staple specialty yeah and, and the sticky rice risotto is brilliant yeah and they had a great massage uh, there's a great massage parlor banksy still says it's like mm. one of the best Banksy's your girlfriend. she's ever gotten um you know yeah, um, yeah, well, yeah well. regular listeners should know that yeah um, so, and no, and we talk very fondly of that trip and we love the town and, you know, um, Lao food isn't as famous as Thai food, right? There's the, the temples, obviously it's a Cambodian temple, but Laos kind of like lies in the shadow of its neighboring countries. But at the same time, like, it's great. The food maybe isn't as spicy, let's say like, you know, no, definitely not as spicy. Great. So good. You know, and, uh, yeah, it's all fresh cause it's like a big farm, you know? Yeah, it was awesome. So I think I've, I've used all the hyperboles and, and colorful words, but yeah, mm. definitely if you've been to the region before, or you're looking for somewhere quieter, go there, dive into the history, see some amazing stuff. Can't recommend it enough. So I think I'm just going to wrap it up and say goodbye. Thanks for listening. We didn't mention our Patreon page. Please look on our website. There's a button for Patreon. Sponsor us. A dollar a month, a couple dollars a month. We do this for free. Help keep us on the air we love doing it thank you so trevor why don't you take us out yeah thanks for listening everybody i think that was an interesting episode you should go to the show notes uh, go to the facebook page we have a bunch of photos we have some really good photos from that trip uh, i think photos are really inspirational when you're trying to to do a trip and uh, again the information on the website will help you plan your trip and maybe inspire you to go um, i can't recommend it any higher so uh, thanks for joining and we'll be back in two weeks i believe uh, we're going to talk about asia's best meals so we're going to keep rolling with the food theme that we talked about when we finished this episode so uh, we're going to record that right now thanks for joining us on talk travel asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon hey scott do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Tom and Kim?